0: okay three two one oh my goodness good morning good afternoon whatever it is for you i hope you're having a fantastic day my name is zach schaumler this is strong opinion sports episode four hundred and twenty a uh a number that is near and dear to my heart i'm gonna leave it at that uh and you know what i'm talking about i uh um in the studio today I found a really big massive yellow bug I don't know what it is it's now the third time I've seen one I got it with a vacuum cleaner it's in the vacuum cleaner I think it's gonna stay there I don't think it can get out but it was horrifying it was like it was on my foot I mean I'm not kidding like I was I felt this thing on my foot I'm like what is that I look and I I moved my foot and it stayed on there the audacity of the stupid bug it didn't even move and I'm like I got terrified. I ended up like kicking it off under the light switch and I vacuumed it up. And that that was terrifying. And then today also in the studio, there's a fly buzzing around and I've, I've literally, I spent 20 minutes and I, after 20 minutes of trying to get the fly out of the room, I gave up. I'm like, look, I, I want to move on with my life and record the podcast. And I'm getting really tired of, I, it's so embarrassing. I was chasing a fly everywhere. I li- it's a tiny room. It's like Eight by eight eight feet by eight feet it's a tiny room in here, and I couldn't get the fly out i did i we have two doors in and out, I did everything I could uh so if there's a fly buzzing around, let's pray it doesn't land on the camera uh and if you see a fly i I'm, I swear I'm not like living in squalor. I just could not get the fly out of the room today. uh let's start today with this on Monday night football. the Washington football team beat Seattle seventeen to fifteen and I, I love this game because it was. Seattle, Washington against Washington, D.C., the two Washington teams. And I think this is a perfect game to do a breakdown on because it's two teams with losing records. And, like, I, I hate to admit this, but even I and I look, I watch football all day. It's my job and I love it. Like, I really love watching football. It's my favorite thing in the world when I'm having a hard time in life. Like, football is my escape. Even I had a hard time uh, getting into this game. And so I wonder if a lot of people skipped it. There was no Peyton Manning broadcast. Um, It actually did have a wild and fun ending. But I think in case you missed it, I'm going to break down the game. The number one story here was that Washington quarterback Taylor Heineke made better decisions than Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. I would even go as far as saying that Taylor Heineke outplayed Russell Wilson in this game, which is a massive accomplishment. And Washington has six games left this year to keep evaluating Taylor Heineke. I think it's actually possible. Like if the NFL draft was tomorrow, I would tell Washington, look, you're going to have a mid-level first round pick. There's no reason to draft a quarterback. Like, I don't know that Washington is going to be able to get a top quarterback who will be able to step in and be better than Taylor Heineke next year, day one. And I just think that it's very possible we see Washington stick with Taylor Heineke next year as well. We'll see how the final six games go. And that's partly a compliment to Taylor Heineke. Partly that's a statement about how weak this quarterback class is entering the NFL draft. But man, look, Taylor Heineke is putting the ball in the right spot. Uh, he's making good decisions. I think he's avoiding catastrophic mistakes, which is massive. Like we watched Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford. Like we saw all these quarterbacks, big Ben, quarterbacks avoiding turnovers and making bad decisions like happens all the time. And I I really appreciate the way Taylor Heineke is playing because he's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. I think you'd still rather have a guy like Matthew Stafford. I don't know that a guy like that is available in the draft. And so Taylor Heineke is a guy that I think is safe, who takes care of the ball. He reminds me honestly of their old quarterback, Alex Smith. Like he just does the right thing. And even the contrast between Russell Wilson and, heineke in this game like russ was making bad decisions and taylor heineke is like it's not there find my check down like it's kind of boring but it's frankly good quarterback play and that's what you need to do as a quarterback in the nfl and he's playing at a a high level like there's no other way to say it than that and uh, he had a beautiful throw it was good play design too they had like logan thomas run over the middle and they had another layer kind of run behind him and it's it was this interesting route where the receiver was like 15 yards downfield before the safeties, but behind the linebackers, and Taylor Heineke threw a perfect ball up and over the linebackers. It's little stuff like that, and then the times where he's he avoided a couple sacks, like he made people miss in the backfield and would throw the ball for a first down or run around. And I just think Taylor Heineke is playing high level football, and like nowhere near the best quarterback in the NFL, not even close. But as far as for Washington, he's kind of doing the best they could get right now, and. I think there's a chance that Washington will stick with him even after this year. Now, (sighs) Russell Wilson. Uh, I think a lot of people are are thinking and and wondering, like, what's going on? Why is Russ having a hard time? And it won't show in the stat line. His stat line's actually pretty good. He was like 20 for 31 passing, 200-something yards, two touchdowns. Like, the stat line for Russ was not terrible, He had an awesome touchdown with 15 seconds left. We'll get into that in a moment. But Russ should have had two interceptions, one on a slant, uh, one that got dropped later. They were dropped by Washington. He was also missing guys open. He had a throw, went way over Gerald Everett's head. And I've never seen him miss that badly, actually, when he's trying to hit someone open. He had a throw where he forced it at E.K. MacCoff and had a guy sitting like 15 yards wide open down the middle of the field. Like Repeatedly, I saw Russell Wilson make... Bad decisions. Like, there's no other other way to put it. Like, he's just throwing the ball to the wrong spot over and over again. And I don't think anything is wrong with Russ exactly. But you got to remember, he's playing on a bad team. And what you're seeing when you watch Russell Wilson struggle, like he did on Monday night. And struggle's, like, maybe a bit strong there. But make some bad decisions. And and if you're—I've been watching Russell Wilson for years— one of the worst games he's played recently as far as decision making won't show up on the stat line. But like you're seeing what happened to Carson Wentz actually last year with the Eagles, where when you have a bad team around you and you don't have a lot of help, you end up forcing throws into coverage and feeling like you. I mean, the, the entire franchise is on his shoulders in Seattle and you can see he's feeling the weight of that and he's trying to be Superman, and it's not working. Seattle's 3-8, and eight. and I, I've been saying for years that they need to support Russell Wilson, their Hall of Fame-level quarterback. And I feel like like no one in Seattle's going to listen to me, but their fan base hasn't listened to me either, and I'm like, look, you guys, I don't understand why fans... I, I love a good Jets fan, a good Giants fan, who, when things are trending downward... They hold their franchise accountable. Like, say what you want. Giants fans are mean sometimes, but they will be the first people to call out their football team because they love their team and they want their team to win. I feel like Seattle. Love you guys. And and I'm from the Northwest. I I grew up in Portland. All my friends are Seahawks fans. And that's maybe why I have such insight into this fan base. They've been living in delusion for years. Years. Like, not being honest about, hey, we should probably get Russ an offensive line hey we should do and and this year it all came to a head when I when I predicted Seattle to go 6 and 11 I got so much hate and so much anger and and all the comments like you're wrong our team's way better than you're giving us credit for I'm like no they're not like after Russ what do they have they've got DK Metcalf who they're not using very well Jamal Adams a safety who He's not great in coverage, and is probably a little bit overpaid. Even though I love Jamal Adams, I think Jamal Adams is awesome. Tyler Lockett, Bobby Wagner, like, but after that they got nothing else. And I, the canary in the coal mine was there so long ago, watching Russ run around and run around and run around and run and run and, run and avoid sack after sack after sack, and I'm like, hey, uh, Russ is doing the most and not getting the help he needs, and Seahawks fans didn't want to hear it, and. This is why you can't be blindly loyal to your football team or your whatever you're a fan of. I love Nintendo. I'm a huge Nintendo fan. But when Nintendo put out a, a video game console called the Wii U, I didn't buy it because I didn't want that. That was bad. When the Nintendo Switch came out, I bought that because I love that. I, I want Nintendo to be good and make games I like and games I want to play. And when they do stuff I like, I support them. When they make missteps or are not doing what I like, I'm not buying their product just because I, I love Zelda. I love Mario. I love Metroid. But if I don't like what they're doing, I'm not going to support them. And I, I think Seahawks fans for a long time have been blindly supporting Seattle. And unfortunately, when you do that, you have years like this where you're, you're finally, you're three and eight, you're waking up to, oh my gosh, we fell asleep at the wheel. We haven't been supporting our quarterback for years now. And it's it's finally really showing up. And uh, I just think this has been years in the making. Now, this game had a pretty wild ending where Russ threw a long touchdown with literally 15 seconds left in the game. That made it 17 to 15. They went for two. And, you know, that's, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm writing my notes like, the game is coming down to a two-point conversion. And they didn't get it. And I thought the game was over. Then I remember, oh yeah, wait, wait, wait. They can kick an onside kick. And they kicked the onside kick. And Seattle got it. And I'm like, oh man. This is fun. Like who would have thought this awful Monday night football game that, I mean, there was a play before halftime. It was I, you know my notes are funny. Cause I'm like, I literally wrote my notes. Washington takes a 10 to seven lead when they got a touchdown right before halftime, but they didn't take a 10 to seven lead because they kicked the extra point. It got blocked. Seattle ran it back for two point conversion, tied the game nine to nine. So anyway, the game came to a close where Seattle's kicking an onside kick. They're down to trying to tie the game. And, and, They came down with it like Seattle recovers the onside kick. And this is where the what you're going to hear gets really deflated because, oh, there's a penalty. And we found out that Seattle had a guy uh, on the opposite side of where the kick went to line up wrong. He was too far inside the hash. And I mean, I don't know. I, I hate the call. Like technically it's the right call, but I didn't love it because like that guy lining up two feet too far inside didn't impact the play. And I. I wanted Seattle to get an onside kick because I like chaos and I like fun endings. And I felt like we got robbed of what would have been a really cool ending. Uh, But yeah, Seattle's three and eight and man, I just, I don't know what's next for Seattle. It feels like there's a lot of big changes coming, whether it be coaching staff quarterback, like maybe I I haven't even thought about this until this very moment. Like, so this now you're often I prepare stuff and I've got heavy notes and I, I know what I'm going to say. I haven't prepared this thought at all. Is it possible that Pete Carroll goes back to college? I, I don't know. I, that's a legitimate question. I don't I don't think so. I think it's, he's missing the boat, too. Like, if he was going to, he would have gone. By now, like, the LSU job is gone. A bunch of good jobs are gone in college football. But could that ever happen with Pete Carroll? Like, would Pete Carroll retire? He's an older dude. Maybe he just wants to. But I think he loves football, so I don't know. That's an interesting thought, though. Could Pete Carroll ever go to college football again? where he dominated at USC. I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but that's an interesting thought. Uh, maybe <laughs> like the, the running joke is that when you get fired, you become Nick Saban's coordinator. So maybe he'll be the next defensive coordinator at Alabama. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't think so, but that's kind of a funny thought. Probably Dan Mullen would be crazy at Florida. Um, so let's talk about Washington. The Washington football team right now, they're five and six. Uh, if the playoffs started today, they would be a wild card team. They would be the number seven seed in college football. They've won three games in a row. And when you watch Washington and and go look at the numbers, I mean, it's crazy how much they are dominating time of possession. They're running the ball for a ton of yards. They are like, they had the ball for like 38 minutes against Tampa. Like, they are just hanging on to the ball. They're not giving up. They're running the ball for a ton of yards. And it's fun to see. I think what's developing in Washington is really underrated and underreported. They're playing really great football in Washington. And I don't know that they can take the. NFC East title away from Dallas. But if anyone can, it's them. And Taylor Heineke is playing great ball. They're running the ball well. Like, Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Like, What's going on in Washington is surprising and impressive. And I I think they're hitting a roll and playing great football right now. So keep your eye on Washington and what they do with the rest of the year moving forward. Okay, uh, let me drink some water real quick. And then there's a big story I want to talk about in the college football world. Brian Kelly is leaving his job as the Notre Dame head coach to go be the head man at LSU. And, Oh man, I love this move. I think this is a fantastic, awesome move in college football. Brian Kelly could have stayed at Notre Dame forever. Like there, no one was going to push him out. And I think what he's doing by going to LSU is he's taking a risk and he's going to play in big games against Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Mississippi State—like he wants to play higher level competition. Uh, He's gonna—he's playing with the big boys now. There's in the SEC, they got a lot of great coaches: Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And I'm excited, man. Brian Kelly is leaving a stable situation, which is hard to do when you got job security and you're safe and you're getting paid and you're winning. That's hard to leave. And he's—he's leaving a stable situation and taking a risk to try to get an even better life. I I love that, man. There's no better way to live your life than by taking risks to see if you can get more. And that sounds silly to me, but like I, I really think that he realized, hey, I hit a ceiling at Notre Dame where I, it's just not going to get any better than it's been. And as a college football fan, it's fun to, to think about what's collecting in the ICC. All the top quarterbacks, all the top coaches, all the top talent. Now you're adding another good coach to the SEC. That's going to be really fun. I'm excited about that. LSU's got amazing facilities, a ton of money. They've got It's a great place to recruit and bring people to play for you. Here's what Brian Kelly did in 12 years at Notre Dame. He went 13, sorry, won 13, 113 wins, 40 losses. He won 74% of his games. He got Notre Dame to a national title. He got them to... The college football playoff, they lost to Alabama both times, by the way. Uh, but that's that's impressive in of itself. Like He got Notre Dame to the college football playoff and national title in his run, 12 years there. He could have stayed. He, there, he had no reason. He wasn't being pushed out. No one wanted him to leave. But for him, going to LSU, it's an upgrade. Notre Dame is kind of pompous. They think they are all that. To me, LSU is way better. It's a better situation for you, for your life, to build a future and and shoot for more like i don't know that brian kelly can win a national title i know for sure he couldn't do it at notre dame i it wasn't going to happen at notre dame he might be able to do it at lsu and that's that's the possibility he's going for it's that little sliver of hope that he didn't have before by being a part of notre dame so it's a risk but i love it i love it so much it's going to be a ton of fun and i'm happy brian kelly Making upgrades in his life, I think that should be celebrated. A lot of people are talking about why would you leave Notre Dame? He did. That's that's cool in and of itself. Is when you don't need to leave but you choose to leave. That right there is exciting. And, and if let's imagine Brian Kelly did not take the job at LSU, he stays at Notre Dame. You think he's going to live the rest of his life thinking about what if I taken that job? You don't want that at all. Like you don't want to live your life thinking about what if. Now, for LSU, I, I think this is probably—who else are they going to hire? I mean, I, I, I can't think of a better option, actually, and that's not a, a ringing endorsement of Brian Kelly. But you're looking at Brian Kelly, a guy who did really well at Notre Dame, I think overachieved a little bit at Notre Dame, who's going to get better facilities and more stuff at his disposal. That's exciting to think about, like, oh, what, what could he achieve? Look what he did at Notre Dame what can he achieve with more money, better facilities, and even more passion with his fan base? I actually, I think like it's a perfect marriage. It's one that people are probably not that excited about because Brian Kelly's not a hot new name in college football, but this is a really successful coach who's done more with less than what LSU has. And I talked a while ago about what LSU could do is hire a coach, maybe out of the FCS level, who's been winning with fewer scholarships and less facilities. They kind of did that. They took a coach from a guy, you know, Notre Dame's not a slouch, but LSU certainly does have more resources available to him. And you think of, look what he did at Notre Dame and imagine what he can do with the resources that LSU has. So I think for both sides, for LSU and for Brian Kelly, it's a home run. And I don't, I I just know it's going to be fun to watch. And and I love, if you're an SEC football fan, I love the SEC. I I think that, uh, you know, the Pac-12 is going to be, Lincoln Riley's probably going to dominate the Pac-12, him or Mario Cristobal at Oregon. Although Mario Cristobal's had time and hasn't built a truly dominant program at Oregon. Like, they win the Pac-12, but they don't dominate the Pac-12 the way USC might be able to with Lincoln Riley. But as Lincoln Riley goes to the Pac-12, I look at what the SEC has, and it's just a collection of almost all the top talent and coaches in college football. And, man, I... I'm a, I'm a Pacific Northwest guy. All my friends growing up are Pac-12 fans, and they talk about, oh, Oregon and the Civil War. And, hey, is USC going to beat Cal this year? I'm like, <laughs> who cares? Like, the SEC is amazing. What they're, The talent they got, the entertaining storylines, the great coaches. And I, as a college football fan, I hear Brian Kelly's going to LSU, and I'm like, let's go, dude. It's going to be fun. And I can't wait to see what happens down there in the bayou. Uh, good for Brian Kelly and good for LSU. Okay, let's talk about the college football playoff rankings. Uh, they just came out. Number one was Georgia. No one's shocked by that. Everyone saw that coming. Uh, number two, you got Michigan. Surprising. I, I mean, look, they Michigan played better last week than Alabama. I'm not shocked they leapfrogged Alabama, but that's kind of cool. Alabama's third, and then Cincinnati's number four right now. Number five, you got Oklahoma State, and number six is Notre Dame. Notre Dame is 11-1. However, they will not play in any— they're not in a conference. So they're not going to play in any kind of conference title game. And so a, a lot of people would have to lose in order to help Notre Dame get, you know, ranked any higher than they are currently. And on top of that, their coach is gone. So I don't, I don't know if the committee would consider that. Like, would they take a Notre Dame without a coach? Is that part of their thought process? I don't know. Um, but I think Notre Dame has no shot and I don't think they had a shot anyway. Cause you, you got to not being part of a conference hurts them every year. It doesn't matter how well you do. Like, Everyone else is going to have one more game to add to their resume that Notre Dame will not have a chance to show out, and that hurts them. I think they got to join a conference. I can't believe they haven't yet. Uh, Georgia plays Alabama this weekend. That's going to be interesting. That's for the SEC title. Uh, Anything can happen. Like, I'm not trying to say that Alabama has no shot. Certainly they do. But I I would be shocked if Georgia did not win that game. Michigan plays Iowa for the Big Ten title. I want Michigan to win. I think it'd be cool if Michigan got into the college football playoff. That would be awesome. However, as a skeptic, right, a guy who I want Michigan to win, I don't want to get my hopes up maybe. Maybe that's my thought process. I don't know. But how typical of Jim Harbaugh would it be for them to beat Ohio State, be in the college football playoff rankings, have everything at their disposal, and then somehow Jim Harbaugh finds a way to lose to Iowa. In the Big Ten title game. I'm not saying that's gonna happen. In fact, I hope that doesn't happen. But the defeatist in me, maybe the the skeptic. I don't know what I don't know what the word is there that's proper, but I worry that's gonna happen. I hope that doesn't happen. But uh that would be I'd be sad if Michigan lost to Iowa this weekend. Cincinnati plays Houston, they gotta stay undefeated to make it in. They probably will. Oklahoma State plays Baylor. Uh I think what we're gonna see. My prediction for the final college football rankings is this. We'll see Georgia number one, probably Michigan number two, Cincinnati number three, and Oklahoma State number four. That's assuming that uh, two loss Alabama losing to Georgia and Texas AM and will not make it in. So that would mean we would have Georgia versus Oklahoma State in the college football playoff as the first game. Uh, That would be fun. Two great defenses, Georgia, Oklahoma State. Probably Georgia wins that game easily, but it'd be fun and interesting. And then... A Midwest battle between Cincinnati and Michigan would be like, ah, oh, I, I really do not want Cincinnati to play Georgia. That sounds horrible. That sounds like when Alabama played Notre Dame in the national title game and it was like 55 to 10 or something. I, I remember like, not caring because the game was over at halftime. And I, I want to see a game that is competitive and interesting. And Cincinnati versus Georgia is probably the worst possible matchup we could get for the first round of the college football playoff. So I'm hoping that we get Georgia versus Oklahoma State. I don't think if if Alabama loses to Georgia. They're not going to say, hey, how about in two weeks you play each other again? Like they're not going to do that. So if Alabama wants to make it and they have to beat Georgia, and then I think they would consider a one loss Georgia and a one loss Alabama. I don't think that Georgia would lose and not make it in. They'd be the number four ranked team. But what's most likely going to happen is Georgia's going to beat Alabama this weekend. And uh, I I just let's pray that Michigan can beat Iowa because how sad, like just sad for Jim Harbaugh, like the narrative that he can't win a big game. He kind of finally got the monkey off his back. He lost to Michigan state, but he beat Ohio state. Ooh, you beat Ohio state. It was fun. The snow was awesome, but imagine if he lost Iowa, that just would be heartbreaking and very, very sad. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about Nebraska head coach, Scott Frost. He is keeping his job at Nebraska. His team just went three and nine. And they lost all nine games by single digits. It's crazy. Listen to this. This is, uh, I don't know what exactly to do with this information, but I want to share it with you just because, like, I I talk to the people listening to my show like you're a friend. And I would tell, I I called my dad about this. I'm like, Dad, can you believe this? And I read him this list. I'm going to read it to you. They lost to Nebraska, by the way. Nebraska lost to Illinois by eight points, they lost to Oklahoma by seven. They lost by three in overtime to Michigan State. They also lost to the other Michigan team, the Wolverines, by three. They lost by seven to Minnesota, by five to Purdue, by nine to Ohio State, by seven to Wisconsin, and by seven points to Iowa. Nebraska lost nine games by single digits. (laughs) Again, I don't exactly know what to do with that information. I wanted to share it, though. And you can kind of read it however you want. Either Scott Frost is... Maybe closer to winning than we realize, or he's like terrible at all the small details and it's costing him wins. I, I think both are possible, both are a realistic option and thought. Uh, I guess, honestly, both could be true where he both is closer to winning than we realize and also has been terrible at the small details. Like, if you watch any Nebraska game, the the few games I saw, I'm not going to lie and pretend I watched every Nebraska game. I'm like, I'm not watching that stupid team. But what I did see from them was like over and over and over again, like penalties, turnovers, bad reads by the quarterback. Like They just shot themselves in the foot in every way they possibly could. And uh, I, I guess so. I Yeah, both are probably true. Scott Frost is closer to winning than we realize. Like if he can fix the small mistakes, they will win. But that's why they're losing and why they went three and nine. All of Nebraska's wins, by the way, they beat Buffalo, they beat uh, Northwestern, I think Fordham was the other win. Um, They were all blowouts, so they just can't, the details are killed, like, when they're dominant and a way better team, they win, but they can't win a game that's competitive at all, because, again, it's the small details, in my opinion. In the few, I saw like three Nebraska games all year, I'm not going to pretend I know everything, but the three I saw, that was the problem, and I would imagine that problem cascaded through their entire year uh so i wanted to share that i'm really curious how things are going to turn out with scott frost in the future and if you're a nebraska fan reach out to me i want to hear your thoughts i got a couple of friends who play for the team and all look i a couple of their linemen follow me and i talk to them on social media they love scott frost like everyone that plays for scott loves him like no one hates him no one wants him gone uh the people like that i talk to really like playing for him and they want to win with him so I'm I'm knowing that makes me feel better at him keeping his job and I I wa- I, I love when Scott Frost had an undefeated season at Central Florida and stayed for the bowl game he got hired but said I'm going to stay here a lot of coaches like Brian Kelly's already gone to LSU he's not going to coach in the Notre Dame bowl game but Brian, Scott Frost when he got hired by Nebraska to le- leave Central Florida he's like I'm going to stick it through the end of the year I'm going to play in the bowl game against Auburn and that will always always be something i respect him for so um yeah i i i have an open mind about scott frost i want the guy to do well he's a likable dude people love playing for him and uh, i want to see scott frost keep his job and find a way to succeed in nebraska okay uh it's time for ask zach my favorite part of the show in case you do not know you go to patreon.com forward slash zach Shomler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Uh, And if you want to support the show the best way you can, just give a dollar a month on Patreon. Now, if you submit, uh, sorry, if you give a dollar a month, what that does is give you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read it on this show. That would be uh, insanely difficult and and not a good idea, I think, (laughs) But my only guarantee, I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I read the top couple at the end of the show, and I got a lot of them today. So we'll start today. I think it's it's a non-football question, actually. Menko says, Hi, Zach. It's been snowing here in the UK, and I am now hoping for a white Christmas. Now that you live in Hawaii, do you miss snow or bad weather in general? I love warmth and sun as much as anyone. But too much can be boring uh yeah man like i miss snow i i miss seeing snow and being in snow like there, man in the early morning when it's like not light out yet and it's snowing and that that feeling of peace the sound like the sound of snow hitting the ground and i've been at my grandma's house a bunch she got deer and it's just it's beautiful it's just amazing i miss that uh i i don't miss dealing with snow though like the day-to-day isn't fun i want to let you in Again, I I try to talk to everyone listening to my show like you're a friend or uh, I I would think if you're at this point of the podcast, you listen to the whole show, you probably like me. You're probably not like someone who's angry at me and I can let you in on cool stuff. You might be happy for me. I, I think my next move is to live in either a truck camper or a van and drive around the country making podcasts that way. Uh, go meet up with Marcus Whitman in Minneapolis. Go meet up with Tom Grassi in New York. Go find Brandon Perna. I've never, never talked to the guy, but I know he's in Denver. I'll go find him. I'll have a beer with him, have him on the show, do interviews in person. Like that'd be really fun. And I'd save so much money on rent. Like I, I, I if anyone does that or has any advice on how to charge your electronics during driving with a truck camper, uh, and solar and stuff like I, I've been contemplating and I'm like, man, that would be such a cheap way to live. Like the payments are really low. Get a truck, uh and i haven't told anyone really publicly but i i've I've been, I've been like i i love hawaii it's going to be my home forever i think someday i want to buy cheap property in the big island and just make it work and build the solar infrastructure put a, a shed up and do my podcast in a shed with like open air and have fun with it i mean the weather's so nice you don't need much else than that um but I, I don't feel like i'm ready to settle down i want to explore and there's all this stuff. I want to see so. I want to see the Florida Keys. I want to go back to Cincinnati. I have never really toured the Midwest the way I want to. I've never been to Chicago. I've. I want to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin. I want to go to L.A. The Florida Keys already said that. Arizona, Colorado, like the mountains in Colorado were amazing. Utah, like I. New York, like I. I want to go drive all the way to the end of Long Island to Montauk. Like I have all these places I want to go, and I'm realizing like it's so expensive to actually just take a bunch of trips and do that it's it's expensive, it's hard, it's not practical. I'm like, I should just take everything on the road and really just, I, I have nothing anyway. I live in a tiny apartment. I sold all my stuff when I moved here. I'm like, I got nothing anyway. <laughs> well, I, I sell the mattress and let's go. Like I really, I'm thinking about doing that and I haven't said that publicly, but that's, I don't feel ready to settle down. I feel ready to go on an adventure and I've done the math with Verizon 5G and I could upload the show actually with even faster internet than I have here. And I'm like, well, I have no reason not to do it. It'd be cheaper. It'd be possible. I'd see cool stuff, and I think that would. Uh, I, I've been. I need an adventure, man. I need an adventure in my life, and that—that's been my new thing. So I want to go find snow. I guess the the way I got there meant go. I apologize. I'm rambling now, and it's a sports podcast. I've been talking to myself now for like ten minutes. Um, I yeah, I want to see snow, and I was watching Michigan Ohio State going. I want to go to that game, and I, I watched Thanksgiving, and I'm like, it'd be so fun to go. I don't care if I get in or not. Like, I, I want to drive to Dallas and be outside the stadium while a Thanksgiving day game is happening and tailgate and play beanbags with anyone that's out there. Like, there are people that hang out in the parking lot. I'll be that guy. That sounds fun. Uh, maybe someday go to the U.S. Grand Prix. Can I get in? I don't know. I can buy a ticket from a scalper. I can go hang out outside, hear the sound. Like, I just, I want to adventure and explore America and, and make podcasts as I go. And I've been wrestling with that and realizing that and realizing how fun that would be. And uh, I think that's my next move. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's an announcement. I mean, I got a whole lease to finish up here. And I love Hawaii, but I, I don't feel ready to settle down at all. Uh, Spencer writes in. Spencer says, uh, oh, no. How did I get Spencer? <laughs> my notes say Spencer. It's actually Sean. Sean writes in and says, hi, Zach. Sean here. What do you think of the Taysom Hill contract? It is a unique contract that is nothing I've seen before. What is your opinion on it? Also, is there any contract you've seen in any sport that is unique or unusual? Uh, keep being you. You're, you are doing great. Uh, the Bobby Mania contract kind of comes to mind. Interesting how they paid him there. It's kind of cool. Um, to me, Taysom Hill, though, it's the weirdest contract I've seen in a long time. It's worth up to $95 million. He won't make that much, uh, as low as $40 million. Like It's a massive swing, like $55 million in incentives, basically. Uh, it's a cool contract because it gives Taysom Hill $22.5 million guaranteed. Like that's enough money that you're set for life. If you're really not an idiot and it's pretty hard to spend. I, I could live forever on a million dollars. I'm like, yeah, give me, anyone want to give me a million dollars? I'd be I'd disappear. I, I, I would make podcasts obviously, but I'd, I'd be like living in a van, driving around, having fun. Um, and what's cool about this contract is it gives Taysom Hill hope to make even more money in the future. And, there's a bunch of incentives for if he becomes a state starting quarterback, like passing yards and completion percentage. Winning a Super Bowl makes like another million and a half dollars. Uh, the changes really don't come in effect until next year, and then they can even make changes there, make a lot of it a uh, you know signing bonus. So it's kind of cool. I really the better that Taysom Hill does, the more money he will make. And if Taysom Hill becomes their franchise quarterback, he's going to want a pay raise. So they're like, let's figure it out now. You'll you'll make more if you're the starting quarterback. The better you do, the more money you'll make. And if you're not our starting quarterback, you won't make that kind of money. And it won't break our bank. So it's really it's a perfect contract for the situation. And it's a very weird, unique situation in New Orleans with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. And um, I, I like what they did. It's creative. I had never thought of doing anything like that. So I like it. Okay, Davis writes in, I'm going to answer part of your question, Davis. I apologize in advance. Davis says, hi Zach, halfway through the season already. Jeez. Uh, What is your freshman head coach power ranking? He wrote in G's. I didn't. You know, I read that horribly. By the way, like the pause and the G's, whatever. Uh, I don't want to rank all the coaches. It feels too early. we have only had twelve weeks in the NFL season. I probably should do like my my contenders again. I I, I need to do that up. I'll probably do it later this week. Uh, I also, I, I feel bad, like hating on coaches that I think are bad, like, or, or like David Cully, David Cully, the Texans coach, like, where would I rank him? And how do you, how do you even rank him? Like, how do you uh, shout like urban Meyer's doing some stuff? I like, uh, I like Robert Sala, although it's, he's been bad this year. Uh, Nick Sirianni has done a better job than I thought he would, but I, so I don't want to I, rank I actually, I, I apologize. I, I don't feel comfortable ranking them. Um, but I can say that the best rookie head coach, in my opinion, and and the guy that's really shocked me and surprised me, I'm like, who do you think it is? Take a second. Like, if you're listening, take a guess. Like, who do you think my favorite rookie head coach is right now in the NFL? Okay. you have had time. It's Brandon Staley, the Chargers head coach. I love the guy. Players love him. He's smart. He goes for it on fourth down. Um, he's winning. I, I really... I mean, I, I thought that you know the game against Pittsburgh, where Pittsburgh made a late comeback, and it felt like LA was going to lose, which would have been very typical of the uh, Anthony Lynn Phillip Rivers era, and and I that's a game they would have lost in the past. And Brandon Staley found a way to win with Justin Herbert, and I love that. And I don't, I I have some concerns about uh, Lombardi, the offensive coordinator. I think he's a little bit safe, uh, a little bit stifling of Justin Herbert, but I don't know, man. I I really. I absolutely love what's going on in L.A. I think they're, they, got a, they found an amazing young head coach, Brandon Staley, and I, I really, really love the guy. Okay, Ben writes in. Ben says, non-football question, have you seen Eternals? I have not. Uh, what did you think of it, and what's your favorite MCU film? Minds between Captain America Civil War and Endgame. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, Endgame, Civil War, the, the, the big ones are not the ones I, I find myself wanting to go back to. Like I don't, I haven't wanted to watch Endgame again at all. I don't, I, I remember it. And I, I think I did rewatch it with my fiance. We watched, like we did a marathon. so She could see all of them. Um, you know, the movie that, so I haven't seen Eternals. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I wish I could say I was excited about it. Money's tight and I don't care enough to go. Like I'll see it when it comes to Disney plus and that'll be enough for me. Um, I, I, I wasn't moved by anything I saw my, my buddy Devin Engel, um, he does the Here We Go show on YouTube. He loved it, and I asked him. And he, he said I should go see it. Like it's worth. And a lot of my friends said I should go see it too. And I love. I would have probably had a good time because I love seeing movies in theaters. But for some reason, I think money was tight, and I don't, and it still is. And I, I just was like, I don't, I don't feel that excited about it. Like I didn't want to see it, so I didn't. the The movie that comes to mind when you say what's your favorite MCU movie? Uh, I guess I have three that come to mind, but the one that First jumped into my head with Shang... Is it Shang-Chi or Shang-Chi? The Legend of the Ten Rings. I don't know how to say the name properly. Shang or Shang-Chi, but that's an amazing movie, dude. Oh my gosh. I, It's just visually beautiful and fun and cool. And there's that comedian, I forget her name, something Wu or something, whatever her name is. She's great. Uh, the actors are great. And I, I really... I love that movie. I, I really, I, I thought that was a wonderful MCU movie and probably my favorite they've ever made actually with Shang-Chi, um, Legend of the Ten Rings. I, I just, wow. I, I can't say enough how much, I saw that in theaters and was like, this is effing amazing. I, could, I couldn't, I didn't have that high of expectations and it was fantastic. I also got to give a shout out to uh, Black Panther is amazing. Like the, the, thing that I love about Black Panther, like the story's great and the suit's really cool, but the music in Black Panther, the the beats and the way that like oh man i love that about that movie uh thor ragnarok is funny i've seen it too many times now actually like what do i want to rewatch? i'd rather watch shang chi or black panther i don't want to see thor ragnarok again because i love it and i've watched it way too many times so but that's another great one uh so those are my those are my like i'm not gonna give you a favorite I'm, i apologize probably shang chi was my favorite but those my three favorite mcu movies uh upon request okay uh i a little update by the way i've been working on a movie podcast and <laughs> it's been so hard because i've been trying to figure out what does this show look like and i'm also insanely busy i get like maybe one day a week where i don't work i, I like i take about half a day off in a seven day period i've been working my butt off like i haven't found time to really do the movie podcast i'm having a hard time with that and i've been figuring out like How do I—so I haven't recorded them, actually, and I haven't been putting them out, but I've been recording them, figuring out, like, what does it look like, what do I want the show to be like, and how do I make a show that I can make quickly but still be good? And uh, I'll I'll give you a couple updates. I watched recently for the podcast, and I I did record about them, uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, King of Staten Island, and I'm working on a King Kong episode of the podcast. So it's not out yet. You can't listen to it yet. But I want to – I've been working on the stupid movie podcast since April, and it's been hard because I had to figure out, like, what does it look like? And I did a bunch of episodes with other people, and I realized I want to do it alone. And I'm like, well, how do I do that alone? What does that look like? What do I talk – like, literally building the show, it's taken me about a year, like, I guess half a year to figure out what it even looks like for me to do a movie podcast. And I finally figured it out. So it's it's actually coming very soon, uh, but it's taken me, like, a long time – Mostly because it's got to be, I I got to make money. I got to survive. So my, my job has been, I moved across the ocean and then I, I'm i still working full-time. I'm like, how do I find time for this little side project? But I, I, I want to give it up to it. In case anyone's curious about the movie podcast, I have been working on it like all the time. And all the time is the wrong way to put it. Uh, Any any chance I get, I've been working on it. And it's just been, uh, the the problem I didn't foresee was I had an idea and I didn't know how to make it. And I'm like, well, how do I, how do I even do a movie podcast? Like, what does that look like? And how does the show structured? And where do I go? So I've been, I've been developing it for about six months and I'm finally ready, I think, to put it out. And I'm, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. I think it's fantastic, but you can be the judge. Uh, Let's say January. I'll put it out January 1st. How's that? Is that, give me the month of December to get like a backlog of six episodes recorded. And uh, how about New Year's Day? You get a present, you get to finally listen to the movie podcast I've been working on for a long long time so i i'm gonna say that now that's the date I'll, I'll shoot for is january 1st will be uh when you can start listening to episodes of the movie podcast like that's a fantastic goal i love that and i feel really good about that where was i caleb writes in caleb says do you still believe in this panthers coaching staff I'm losing faith, right? Let's be clear. I, I don't feel good about how the year has gone. I'm very disappointed. I thought that Sam Darnold was going to be awesome. And and maybe it's a Sam Darnold problem. I don't know. Uh, also, like, they had some injuries. And a team is more than their quarterback situation. But I want to give it time because Matt Rule turned around Temple. Then he turned around Baylor. And it did not take one year. It was a process to turn around the football team. And I would imagine it takes even longer in the NFL when you're not only rebuilding a football team, but Matt Rule's never been a head coach in the NFL before, so it's it's a different learning process. But I, yeah, I still do believe in Matt Rule. I really, I I really love the guy. And, and maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid. Like I listen to his interviews, and I'm so like he's kind of like a who who called him this? Was it Coach Dan Casey? So like he's kind of like a pastor where. He, he really does say stuff and we're like, yeah, like I, let, let's do that. I'm all, I'm all aboard the Matt Rule train. So maybe I've just been hornswoggled a little bit, but I, I, yeah, I do. If you had to just like pick a side, I, I do believe in the, the Panthers coaching staff still, uh, but we need results soon. And I don't, I, I don't like how the year is gone, but having a bad year uh, on a team you're trying to rebuild doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad coach. Okay. Pierce writes in, he says, hi, Zach. More and more, I find most broadcast analysts in the booth to be horrible to listen to, except for Tony Romo. Do you agree? And if so, what do you think could be done to improve the quality of the analysis? I don't listen to much analysis. I honestly don't. I, I fast forward through games. Like I, I I just don't, like Monday Night Football is so bad. I don't care. I, I watched that earlier on uh, on Tuesday and you know, I watched the first half Monday night and I went to bed and I woke up and, I didn't want to watch it anymore. Like I, I really, it took me, I woke up at like, gosh, what time did I wake? I, I don't remember. It took me like, I was awake for like four hours before I watched the rest of that Monday night game because I just, and and also, also like, I don't normally turn off games in the middle of them. I can usually watch them all the way through because I'm into it. And I, I had a hard time getting into it. And part of it was because it's two great, two teams that aren't very good. And also I got to admit though, like the broadcasters take me out of it when I watch Monday night football. They're not good. And I don't mean any disrespect. I think it's they're fine. I think the problem right now, honestly, we need to adjust professional standards in uh, the television business, frankly. Like, it's it's too stuffy. Like, you go to an American office right now, people have tattoos now because tattoos have been normalized. And we're not, it, we finally accepted that because we're being a little more casual in our presentation style. It's very different. Like, I, I've got friends who work in offices, and they wear jeans. And you're like, oh, huh. It's different. Like Things are changing. And I I think the presentation style of the way broadcasts are done in sports, it's got to be evolved. It just hasn't evolved in a long time. You're basically live streaming. Look at what streamers do in video games. They're really entertaining. They're fun to listen to. They're great. And frankly, they're just not in football because I think a lot of personality is left behind and not allowed to be included. And it's too stuffy. Uh, it's 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 frustrating, but that's a problem, honestly, is I think my generation wants more personality and more fun and less safety. And, and, and also, like, people talking really, really, like, prepared way like I, I on my show i talk like a normal person you ever listen to like a game review i love i love video games it's, like my, it's my favorite thing that i don't make content about it's really been hard for me i want to and i i played canon bridge of spirits the other day and I, I want to make a video about it and I'm, i've got the footage recorded I'm like i don't know how to do it anyway um when you watch a lot of like go to IGen and listen to one of their video game reviews they're really heavily scripted but the problem is they don't talk the way people actually talk and when you watch monday Night football especially i I got nothing against those guys when they're on tv they don't talk like normal human beings like that's not how a person talks and my generation like i'm 24 i'm I'm like i can't all my friends feel the same way like i I, I want to be with someone who's authentic and talks like a normal human being and not this weird, stuffy newscaster presentation voice that doesn't work. And the word choice and like I, all of it is outdated. And I just think we need to evolve the presentation style, especially in sports broadcasting. News in general, too. News is all bad. ESPN, um, hey, if you want to give me a job, ESPN, I'll, I'll bite the bullet and go live in Connecticut. I'm happy to join. At this point, I'm like, I don't, I don't like. Let me do my show. Let me own it. But uh, if you, if ESPN wants to come in and make my show a little umbrella under what they do and let me be myself, I'll take the money. Like that sounds great. I'd love, it. I'd love a pay raise. But um, I'm also not going to compromise who I am. So that, based on my past experiences with ESPN, that would never happen because they, they would want to stifle who I am, and that's the problem. Right? Is ESPN. And most news networks, let alone sports networks, they don't allow personality to shine through. Actually, hey, Fox is the one company. I've worked for Fox. I know Fox pretty well. Got a lot of friends that are directors and producers there. They really do allow you to be yourself. And uh, I saw a report recently where, hey, Amazon's trying to steal Troy Aikman out of the broadcast booth from Fox. And I'm like, I don't know why... Joe, uh, so Troy Aikman. I don't know why Troy Aikman would ever leave Fox based on the way they operate and the way they allow freedom for their broadcasters. And he makes enough money that he have to worry. if you don't have to worry about money, you got to think about quality of life. And I, I'm not leaving, like, uh, why would you leave a job where you're secure and happy that isn't as good a quality of life? And I think Fox is the best network to work for in terms of the freedom they allow their broadcasters. And also, look, that shows. Listen to Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt do college football. It shows. Like, they really do. They allow people to be personalities, and I love it. I think it's fantastic. So that was a long answer. I didn't expect to talk that much about that question. Ultimate A writes in and says, hi, Zach. Just curious if you would do a preview slash recap of the college football conference championships for this Saturday as a segment on the show. Hey, I did. Uh, I, I previewed. I talked. I mean, as much as I'm going to. I talked about Georgia uh, against Alabama, Cincinnati versus Houston, Michigan versus Iowa. I talked about uh, Oklahoma State versus Baylor. That's all the games I care about because that's what they pertain to the college football playoff. I'm going to break down. like I've, Every week I, I cover college football. I have no doubt. I'll do it again uh, next week. So yeah, the answer holds my day. Yes. Evan says, hey, Zach, as a Tennessee Volunteers fan, I have been really surprised at how successful Josh Hoople's uh, offense has been, Hoople, Hypo, I forget. I forget why do I not know how to say his name? It shows you how engaged I'm at Tennessee football. Uh, I don't know how to, uh, his offense has been successful in his first year with us. While our time of possession has been consistently low, we've been scoring a lot and have managed a seven and five year. This new offensive style had me thinking a lot about different systems. And I was wondering what kind of system you would run if you were calling the shots for a team. Uh, oh, man, it's a fun question to think about. So I, I I think about it this way. I would probably, if I ever became a coach, I would start in high school because that's where the jobs are that I could take right now. I mean, I've been offered jobs as an offensive coordinator in high school football. Like literally that's happened to me in my lifetime recently. Um, And I would run the ball a lot. Like I, I love, I'm a quarterback. I'm going to throw the rock, but I, I really also value running the football. And running the football is incredibly important and I'd want a quarterback who can move and I'm I'm running the zone read. I think that's especially at that level. Like, and there, I, I wish I was taught the zone read in a way that I think was unhelpful. And I, I would be clear to say like, look, the zone read is great. You don't need to, we overcomplicate the zone read. If you're not sure you hand off the ball, it's not that hard, but if you can get past that defensive end, you're letting free keep it and go. And I I could teach that. I have no doubt. I've, I've taught it to freshmen in high school. I taught the zone read before. It's fun. And I, I run the zone read a lot because it helps you basically take a guy out of the scheme. And to have the quarterback account for a defender is amazing and it helps you a lot with blocking. Um, I would also run a lot of motion and movement pre-snap. A lot of coaches get afraid of that because communicating it is hard where it's confusing. Like you call often the way you do it is you call the play, you know, whatever play and you assume you have to account for the motion. How do you label the motion? How do you call the play? Do you call the play for what it's going to be after the motion or before the motion? Like how do you, it's hard to label it and confuse confuses a lot of people. So the key is making the labeling easy in the offense for, to include the motion. But what it does is really, really helps, especially a young quarterback identify coverages. If you run a guy across the field, and a defender follows him all the way across the field. You're like, hey, that's man coverage. Great. Easy. Find two safeties. Is it cover two? Man. Bam. One high safety. Defender runs all the way across with your slot receiver. Hey, it's probably cover one. If there's one high safety and it runs across, cover one man. If no one moves, you're like, oh, it's zone coverage. And then how many high safeties are there? It's that simple. And I, could, I would love to work with a young quarterback on the zone read, finding your safeties, identifying emotion, being able to communicate. Um... I, I really like, I love my job. I've got a really cushy job in that I, my quality of life, I don't make as much money as I'd like, but my quality of life is amazing and it would not be as a high school football coach. But it, God, man, maybe when I retire, that's what I'll do. Cause I, I really love the thought of working with a young quarterback and teaching him how to read coverages. And I, I remember one of my buddies, um, guy named Yarrow, is the quarterback, uh, one of the quarterbacks at Sacramento State. And I coached him. I was his quarterback coach freshman year of football. And I remember teaching him how to look off a safety. And it's a fun drill. You're like, hey, you see one high safety? It's cover three or cover one. And you can move the safety left and right, flip your hips, throw the ball the other side. Like little stuff. Like I want to teach a guy that. It was so much fun. And I don't know. Yeah. So in in, uh, what's the word? In summary, Evan, what I would do, I'd run a lot of zone read. I'd run the ball heavily um i'd love to i'd probably get my coach uh, my buddy coach dan casey on the phone i mean i could probably be quarterback coach for dan casey actually i'd probably call him up and say hey can i can i work with you and coach with you that'd be fun i never thought about that till just this moment but i I love what dan casey does he's so creative and he shares all this stuff on the social media go follow coach dan casey but the the key that i think a lot of especially coaches in high school and college they don't do it because it's complicated but what I would do, I call, have fewer plays in your playbook. Like if you have like 15 plays in your playbook, that's actually a lot, but include motion. Instead of having a hundred plays in your playbook, do 15, but include motions. And it makes a whole bunch of variations and stuff. And if you can have smart players that can run like motions and movement pre-snap to help identify coverages, to help you get in better situations. Like, hey, if you're running a guy across the field or across the, uh, the uh, formation and he runs an out route and he's just literally beating the who's trying to follow him through the mesh through the mix of linebackers and then to the flat that's a hard route to cover like there's little stuff like that where you can get leverage i i would run a lot of motion and a lot of young coaches especially high school and college are afraid of that because of communicating it how do you can your quarterback remember to call it can you remember what it looks like but if you can get a smart guy and teach that to them and simplify it um motion and movement pre-snap is one of the most powerful tools and all of football, and it's often underutilized, even by coaches at the NFL level. Okay. Um Eric says, Hey Zach, how do you feel about the Bengals moving forward? They play the Chargers, 49ers, then Broncos for a three-game stretch coming up. I honestly don't know who the NFL, who in the NFL is good anymore because of all these weird losses and all those games, I feel like could be toss-ups yeah, um, Eric, how about the Chargers? Oh, the, the Bengals The Bengals right now are seven and four. They are currently the number five seed in the AFC. and they got some tough games ahead. They play the Chargers, they play the 49ers, they play Denver, the Ravens, Kansas City, Cleveland. um I think so they're seven and four now I, I think that Cincinnati probably goes 10 and seven. They win three, they lose three in the next and final six games. Maybe if they can get a couple good wins, uh, they go eleven and six, and they're they're right on the verge. They're going to be a, a fringe playoff team. They're going to be like the fifth, sixth, or seventh wild card seed. They're right in the mix there, and it's going to come down to can you beat an LA? Can you beat the Ravens? Is a tough win. Kansas City is a winnable game, but a tough one. Cleveland that's a winnable game, but a tough one. And I can see a scenario where I mean, I could even see five and one. You if you beat Kansas City, Denver, the 49ers and the Browns, and the 49ers are no slouch, neither is Denver. Like that's a problem, is these are these are all quality football teams that are gonna play. But if you if you can go five and one is not insane. It's it's really hard. But um but we're gonna learn a lot about the the Bengals and the final six games of the year. It'll be really fun to see where they end up because did they beat a tough Kansas City team? Did they beat a tough Cleveland is is bad but they're they're not awful. The 49ers are quality. Denver's got some quality stuff going on. And I I'm really curious to see how Cincinnati does against these quality opponents to end the year. And uh, I think I think 10 and 7 is is very realistic, but the the fanboy in me the the fan of Joe Burrow oh, I saw a TikTok where I'm in I was watching TikTok and I'm like oh someone sent it to me but I actually saw it on my own too independently um there's a TikTok of me I think it's like Bengals content or so, some some Instagram, some some TikTok account made a TikTok and it's my voice like the entire time talking over uh Joe Burrow footage which I don't I don't mind it like I'd love credit I don't know if they credited me or not I actually don't remember but um kind of cool like oh my god hey hey, all these Cincinnati fans hate me. And now they're like, now there's a video of me like hyping up Joe Burrow, talking about how we can walk on water. I'm like, hey, maybe I'm changing the narrative because a lot of people in Cincinnati hate me still. And I'm like, look, I love Cincinnati. I do. Northern Row Brewery is amazing. I think about it like every day. It's embarrassing how much I think about going back to Cincinnati to eat Skyline Chili, to walk downtown. People say it's dangerous. I've never, I've been to Cincinnati, never felt danger. I really love it there, and I miss it a lot. Um, I, yeah, I, I, more, there's more to that story there. I'll go back to Cincinnati someday, a couple times, hopefully. Dylan Wrightson says, Justin Fields has been looking better and better the more games and reps he takes. There is no way you can say he's the same quarterback from week two to now. However, we saw, we saw Andy Dalton win this week, and while it is the Lions, Dalton is also a veteran quarterback who simply knows more than Justin Fields. The Bears have no incentive to lose since the first round pick belongs to the Giants. Do you think the Bears have a better chance to win games or at least a similar chance to win games with Dalton instead of Fields? This would also let the rookie sit, stay healthy, and also give him first team reps during practice. I've heard arguments from both sides, so I was just curious on yours. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, the Bears are 4-7. and seven. And while they don't have a first round pick, they still do have like a second round pick having higher draft picks is still better even in the second and third round um and with six games left you're four and seven what's the benefit of winning a little more like oh whoa you finished instead of finishing what's the six games so seven and ten whoa you finished seven and ten instead of six and eleven. Oh, like, what does that matter? I don't, I don't care about winning games if you're Chicago. You want to develop your young quarterback. And if the best thing for him to develop is sitting, then I support that. Absolutely. I, don't, I think it's better to play the guy. Get Justin Fields some experience. And he's sad enough. Like, if he's healthy, put him on the field. And, and he might not be healthy. That, that makes sense to me. Then protect him, no problem. But I don't, the argument that we should play Andy Dalton Cause he'll win like two more games in the final six. Who gives a rip? Like, how does that No, How does it help you? You want to develop your young quarterback. That's, that's number one, the number one priority. Now what the approach is right for that. I don't know what, what approach is right for developing Justin Fields. Is it sitting? Honestly, only Justin Fields and the people in that building know the right way to develop. I'm not going to tell them how to develop their quarterback, but um, I, I would love to see the guy play. And the, it doesn't make—if you think it's best for his development to sit him, then you do that. But I don't care about Andy Dalton. No, I, I don't. You got to move your sights to whatever's best for Justin Fields. And it doesn't matter if you win games from here on out. It What does matter is developing your young quarterback. And so whatever is best for that process, that's what should happen in Chicago. Okay, uh, Hamman writes in. <laughs> he says— Oh, no, this is, hold on, this is very weird. Oh, I got, a, I got an extra question I didn't see. So I got three more questions. First of all, Hamman writes in and says, I am sincerely sorry about questioning your infinite wisdom when it comes to Seattle. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was fake laughter. Uh, Hamman, I accept your apology. It feels real good. I, I predicted Seattle to go 6 and 11 are now three and eight and uh they might be worse than i thought now i didn't predict russell wilson getting hurt missing a little bit of time but i think my point is made seattle's clearly not a good football team and uh i was right uh rafael in. Raphael says hey zach as a miami dolphins fan the past few weeks have been great however i was wondering how much of a stretch is it to hope they make the playoffs They've got the Giants, the Jets, the Saints, Titans, and Patriots left to play. Have a great day and keep up the amazing work. So the Dolphins are 5-7 and seven right now. The Giants, the Jets, the Saints, Tennessee, and Patriots. We're probably looking at an 8-9 and nine season for Miami. Best case scenario. Uh, I, I don't imagine that you're going to go 5-0 and oh to end the year in Miami. I don't imagine you're going to... I think you lose to Tennessee and you'll probably lose to New England to end the year. Now maybe New England rests their starters. I don't think they do that, but maybe they do, but I I would be five and seven. Now I, I would be shocked if Miami found a way to make it into the playoffs. Okay. Last question of the day. Malachi says, Hey Zach, what is the likelihood of Russell Wilson being traded to the dolphins for Tua one first round and one second round pick. It's clear. Russ wants out of Seattle Seattle will likely start rebuilding next year. Even though Tua has played better as of late, the Fins are not fully committed to him. Tua is better than any quarterback coming out of the draft in 2022. Uh, Russ to Miami. No, they're going to trade for Deshaun Watson, if anything. Uh, I, don't, I don't know they should make any move, but. Uh, and I don't. What you say, one first round and one second round pick for Russell Wilson to go to. So Tua, a first round pick and a second round pick. That's not enough. If I'm Seattle, I'm not giving you Russell Wilson, a Hall of Fame quarterback still in his prime, for a first round pick, a second round pick, and a, a young quarterback who you're not that confident in, and it's not that I love Tua, he's not that talented, and he's getting better, but like I'm not, I'm not trading my future for that. Give me a better offer, maybe, maybe if a better offer, like three first round picks, Tua, and a second round pick. But come on, come on. You think they're going to give up Russ for two two picks and Tua? No way. And, I, again, I think Miami, if anything, you're going to trade for Deshaun Watson. That deal was, like, ready to go, and they couldn't make it work. But they, they were so close to trading for Deshaun Watson, I believe. That's my theory. They just couldn't figure out the, the legal stuff. So, unfortunately, I think anything Tua does the rest of the year, is probably honestly just him boosting his trade value, which is awful and sad, but true. I I want to see two us stay in Miami. I want to see them build around him. I want to see them keep doing what they're doing. But I I don't think Russ is going to go to Miami. That that seems very very unlikely, especially that offer he made. But even a better offer, I, Russ ain't going to Miami. I don't think so. Um, I just, I just don't I don't see that happening. So, um, I think you know it would be fun though. You're probably a Dolphins fan, so you probably don't care about this, but Russell Wilson in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That that would be a really cool fit to see Russell Wilson play for Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. I, I would love that thought. I don't know if that's possible. Or, or Russ in Cleveland. is That pos- that might be possible. You get Russ to Cleveland for Baker Mayfield, a couple of first-round picks, second-round pick. That's an interesting thought there. Baker to Seattle. And then it would be like, I've already, I compare Drew Brees and uh, Baker all the time. But that would be really crazily similar if Baker got traded away from his team to another team. And I like that thought. I think it'd be fun. I think Russ would execute that Browns offense really well. I don't know. uh, Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. That's all I have for today. And I will see you very soon because I'm working on a breakdown of Man in the Arena, episode two, uh, or episode three, in just a moment. So I love you. I appreciate you. But um bum Bam. We are...